Welcome to the Mission North Shore podcast. Last week I, uh, I had, uh, actually it wasn't last week, two weeks ago, I had my first kid and so it's, uh, yeah, it, yeah. It's funny because you know the people that have kids because when they tell you congratulations, they have this like sinister laugh after, you know, like, oh man, buddy, I'm so sorry, you know. And uh, so he wasn't feeling that great last night, and so I didn't sleep much, and I don't know. My dad's over at Sunset Beach Christian School, though, and he's having a talk. I said, oh, what are you talking about? He said, oh, I'm talking about wives being submissive to your husband. And I was like, oh, man, okay, you got it worse than me. Okay, let's pray. Father God, we thank you uh, that you use the foolish things to shame the wise, Lord. And I pray that this morning uh, I'd just be a middleman uh, for what you want to speak to each one of us individually, Lord. And I pray that this morning, uh, whatever you have to say, I pray that we wouldn't be able to ignore it and it'd just be real in our lives, Lord. I pray that our eyes would be opened and, and we just have a, a new understanding of you this morning. And we pray all these things in your name. Amen. Uh, this morning we're going to be in Mark 6. And uh, we're just going to look at the verses uh, 1 through 6. So you can go ahead and turn there. Otherwise, I'm just going to start reading. It says, Jesus went out from there and came into his hometown, which was Nazareth, and his people followed him. When the Sabbath came, he began to teach in the synagogue. And the many listeners were astonished, saying, Where did this man get these things? And what is this wisdom given to him? And such miracles as these performed by his hands? Is this not the carpenter, the son of Mary, and brother of James, and Joseph, and Judas, and Simon? Are not his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him. Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor, except in his hometown, and among his own relatives, and in his own household. And he could do no miracle there, except that he laid his hands on a few sick people and healed them. And he wondered... And in different translations, it says, amazed at their unbelief. So this is the next installment uh, that we're doing in the life of Jesus. I think I remember Tripp saying last week or the week before sometime that uh, it was like the 55th or something like that. So we're somewhere around there um, as far as our weeks go. And uh, last week we learned about the woman who had the hemorrhage and and, uh, she had it for 12 years and, and she had spent all that she had and she had done everything she could, and, and she still hadn't been healed of it. And then she saw Jesus touch his cloak, and she was healed. And then uh, we saw right after that Jairus, and, and uh, as they were on his way to go heal his daughter who was sick, uh, somebody came to them and said, oh, man, sorry, your daughter's actually dead. And then Jesus told them, hey, man, just, just believe, and she'll be saved. And so we saw that Jesus told them both that... Man, you good? So Jesus told them both that it was their faith that healed them. Faith is power, and uh, the Bible is full of stories of faith, right? We got Gideon in the armies, uh, Noah's Ark, David and Goliath, right? In all these stories, the odds were defied through their faith in God. Faith is powerful. I don't think any of us would argue that. Jesus told his disciples, With faith like a mustard seed, you can move a mountain and nothing will be impossible. God is capable of doing pretty much whatever He wants in our lives. And and He wants to do as much as He can in our lives 
and through our lives. But as we read in Mark's account of Jesus' visits home, he said that other than healing a few sick people, Jesus could do no miracles there. It, it wasn't that, that that's all Jesus wanted to do. It, it wasn't that he chose to do just a few miracles. It said he couldn't. See, it's our bun- unbelief that keeps Jesus from being able to do all he wants to. We need to realize that unbelief is powerful, and it's so powerful, in, pa- in fact, that it has the ability to limit God. Psalm 78, verse 41, gives us another example of unbelief limiting God. And uh, if you're familiar um, with the children of Israel story, you know that Moses was leading, leading the people out of Egypt where they had been slaves, and a- as they're on their journey, all kinds of things happen. God had to part the Red Sea, and Moses hit the rock, and water came gushing out of it when they were thirsty, and manna came, and whales, and so all these miracles had been happening. And then Jesus, uh, God, tells, tells Moses, hey, I got this land that, that I'm giving you, and, and this is the place, you know. I want you to go and check it out, and I want you to see, see what the fruit looks like, but I also want you to see what the people who inhabit it look like. So Moses has to pick 12, spot, 12 uh, spies to go down there, right? And so it's like one guy from each tribe. And, and so they go down there and check it out, and they end up seeing like huge grapes, you know. They got to like carry them in between two people on a stick. And, and uh, the only problem was that there was huge people also. And, and, and so there was giants in that land. And so when they got back and told Moses and the rest of the children of Israel there what they saw, you know, they told them, oh, yeah, there's, there's fruit. I mean, here, we got the proof. And, and they said, but there's giants, you know. And, and when they heard that there was giants, you know, and that they were huge and they looked like locusts, it says, in their eyes, then the people of Israel got scared. And, and basically, all the, 10 of the spies said, you know what, we can't do it. And then two, Joshua and Caleb said, yeah, we can. God will deliver us. And they ended up not doing it. And God basically told, told that all, all the people there, other than Joshua and Caleb, everybody in that generation, that they weren't going to enter the promised land. So they missed out on all that God wanted to do. And basically, it was their unbelief that, that caused that. So today, we're going to see some of the effects of unbelief. The first effect we're going to look at is the effect that unbelief has on my eyes. Unbelief blinds me. Verse 2 of Mark says, When the Sabbath came, he began to teach in the synagogue, and the many listeners were astonished, saying, Where did this man get these things? And what is this wisdom given to him? And such miracles as these performed by his hands. Right? They're basically saying, Man, you know, who is this guy? At that time, Jesus was teaching like nobody else was. Right? He had the skill of explaining Scripture and he was, he was teaching a, a kind of new doctrine. He was teaching with a wisdom that, that only God could give. And right around this time, Jesus was pretty famous, you know. We heard about all those miracles that he did for the last 55 weeks. And so Nazareth would have heard about these miracles by then. Tons of miracles. A lot more than he was doing in Nazareth. The dead were being raised the deaf were hearing, the lame were walking, the blind were seeing. It, it, it should have been obvious, or it would have been obvious, that God was at work. 
And to make it even more obvious, uh, this wasn't Jesus' first visit home. In Luke, he, he tells us about Jesus' first visit home, and it's pretty similar to the story we just read. And it says that Jesus was in the synagogue, and uh, while he was in there, he was teaching. And so they give him the scroll from, from Isaiah, and, and he looks in the scroll, and he finds this prophecy that's, that's speaking of, of the Messiah to come. And so, so he reads this prophecy, and then he sits down, because back in those days, they'd, they'd read the scripture standing up and then sit down to teach. He says, he tells them, today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. He was telling them, I'm the Messiah. I'm the one you've been waiting for. To me, it doesn't get any more obvious than God's word. Well, supposedly. But unbelief is going to blind me. Unbelief isn't blind to everything, though. It still sees. The problem, though, is what it sees. Unbelief sees what faith chooses to dismiss. And faith dismisses giants. Giants are the seemingly insurmountable odds, the bigger-than-life obstacles, Obstacles that can stand between me and God's promise. Giants tend to cultivate fear, doubt, worry, insecurity, anxiety, depression. And the giants in my life are going to look different than the giants in your life. All of our giants look different. For the people of Nazareth, their giants were everything other than the Messiah that they saw Jesus as. Right? Verse 3 says, Is this not the carpenter, the son of Mary, brother of James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon? Are not his sisters here with us? See, they didn't see Jesus as the Messiah. They saw him as a carpenter, a son, a brother, just some dude from Nazareth, just like them. At that time, Nazareth was just a, a little podunk town. It was nothing. It's never mentioned in the Old Testament. There's an old historian, Roman historian, his name is Josephus. He never mentions it, even though he mentioned all sorts of other cities in that Galilean region, right? This would be like one of those towns in the Midwest where the dogs look depressed. That's the kind of place that Nazareth was. It was extremely insignificant. In fact, Nathaniel, who was one of the apostles, or later became one of the apostles, he kind of shares us, uh, with us the sentiment kind of, 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 of the way people felt about Nazareth in that day. When he was told that they had found the Messiah and that it was this guy, Jesus of Nazareth, he says, can anything good come from Nazareth? So to the people of Nazareth, it seemed pretty much impossible that the Messiah would come from there. So where Jesus was from and who he was related to, these were our, the giants for Nazareth. It seems to me that every great story of faith has giants. Gideon had to battle with 300 men against an army that it says it was impossible to count. For David, it was literally a giant. Noah, he had to build a huge boat. He had to fill it with animals. That would have been my worst part. And he had to do all of this because God was going to cause it to flood. And at the time, it hadn't even rained yet. So 
That's a, that, was, that might be the biggest giant for me. At least the other ones, you die, right? For Jarius, it was his daughter. And uh, his giant was that she was dead. See, it seems that it, God doesn't hide the giants from us. It seems like he wants me to see the giants. Remember our story of the children of Israel? God says to them, this is the land I'm giving you. But then he tells them, I want you to go see what it looks like, and I want you to see what the people who inhabit it look like. You know? Well, I mean, why would God do that? You know, why, why would he want them to go and look? Uh, of course, he wants us to, wanted them to see the fruit, but I figure he must have known that they'd also see the giants, right? And the sight of those giants is ultimately what kept them from going into the promised land, right? Giants are scary, so why would God want us to see them? And Tripp keeps telling us about, about that book, um, In a Pit with a Lion on a Snowy Day. And unfortunately for me, I started reading it the night before Tripp called me to talk. And as I was reading it, I was like so inspired at the moment, you know? He's just like, oh man, it just, I'm only on the first chapter. I'm not, I'm not going to make it like I'm far, but... But uh, just in that first chapter, man, that thing was kicking my butt. I asked Tripp if we could maybe have a little uh, not-so-challenging book next time. But if you don't have it, get it. But this is what it says. Too often our prayers revolve around asking God to reduce the odds in our lives. We want everything in our favor. But maybe God wants us to stack the odds against us so we can experience a miracle of divine proportions. Maybe faith is trusting God no matter how impossible the odds are. Maybe our impossible situations are opportunities to experience a new dimension of God's glory. Get the book. It's good. So Nazareth, like the children of Israel, decided to focus on what was seemingly impossible odds instead of God's promises. So unbelief will not only blind you towards God's promises, And here we see the second effect of unbelief, and that is that unbelief will make you cynical. Look again at the beginning of verse 3. It says, isn't this the son of Mary? Now, this doesn't sound bad, but this is actually an insult. Uh, When I was a a kid, I would uh, go over to my friend Jeremy's house, Tom and Ellen's house. And uh, it was funny because I thought they were rich because they had pizza pockets at their house. And so... (laughs) At my house, we had like plain Cheerios and powdered milk. And if you've ever had powdered milk, it makes skim milk taste like cream. And so we'd go up there to his house. And while we were there, he had this, his sister Sarah was, was real young. I don't know how old she was. She was little, but she could talk. But for some reason, and I thought it was the coolest thing, for some reason, her like huge cut down was like when she'd get like mad at you, she'd just get all sassy and tell you, jelly, jelly. You know, and I was like, first time I heard, I thought, what in the world? What is he? And Jeremy's like, oh, yeah, that's her like, that's her insult, you know. And so so then you start figuring out and she does. You just tell her, oh, jelly, jelly, Sarah. Right. And she just what? Like, whoa! I can't believe you just said that. And, And so so this son of Mary, it doesn't sound like much, but this is actually an insult. This is their jelly, jelly. Right. Because because see, in those days, the way you would refer to somebody I would be Christian, son of Butch. But 
well, okay, maybe not Christian son of Bush, that sounds bad, but, but maybe, maybe blue son of trip. That, would, that doesn't sound much better, but you get the point, right? So what they were basically saying was, we don't even know who Jesus' father is, right? They're, they're basically accusing Jesus of being illegitimate. You know, and, and the funny thing is, though, is that by saying Jesus, son of Mary, they're actually right because Joseph wasn't Jesus' dad. God was Jesus' dad. But when Nazareth said it, they were being cynical. And those things they were being cynical about, those things weren't Mary's fault. Mary didn't ask to mother Jesus. God told Mary, you're going to mother Jesus. And, and I'm pretty sure that Mary didn't pick the method of her giving birth as a virgin. And, and while these things must have been an honor for her, I'm sure it wasn't easy. And we need to watch out because in ministry, things can be the same way, right? In the sense that we need to be careful about being cynical towards the calling that God has on other people's lives. Some of the people God chooses, and, and the mission is an awesome example um, and his plan he has for them are easy targets for cynicism. I'm a perfect example, right? Because I have no idea what I'm doing up here, <laughs> right? You, you might be sitting there thinking, man, this guy has no idea what he's doing up there, right? It, it's obvious that he's never been to Bible college, right? I bet he was homeschooled. <laughs> I was, I was, I was, right? He doesn't wear a collared shirt. He doesn't shave. Right? And obviously, no one's ever taught him how to speak. Right? There's a million things you could pick me apart about. The only qualification I have is that God uses the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. And, and, and most of us aren't up here because Tripp asked us. Right? It, it's because we're trying to be obedient to God and, and the plans he has for us. So don't blame us. <laughs> um, Tuesday night, I was having the hardest time, man. The kid, kids are so much work, man. They're, they're a lot of work. I mean, it's so, it's so much more rewarding than I thought, too, but it's, it's a lot more work than I thought. But I was just sitting there, and I was being so, so hard on myself. And I just kept thinking, like, what are you doing, you know? Just, I'm thinking, like, okay, Tuesday night, I can call Trip in the morning. I don't want to wake up Emily tonight. He'll have, you know, four days to prepare a message by by Sunday, you know, and I was serious. I'm sitting there holding the kid, and I'm sweating. I'm getting sweaty because I'm getting so worked up, and I realized that I not only need to be careful about being cynical towards other people and their calling, but I need to be careful about being cynical towards me and the calling that God has for me. Let's look at what happens to Nazareth after they become cynical. The end of verse 3 says, and they took offense at him. The poison of cynicism will harden our cynicism will harden our heart and make us bitter. Verse four, Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor except in his hometown and among his own relatives and in his own household. Last year my little sister uh Holly <laughs> said that she was gonna run the marathon. And uh for some of us, more specifically me and my sister it was uh, hard for us to believe because growing up, while Noel and I played soccer or, you know, Noel's on the swim team, I like to go to the beach. 
only thing I got an A in was P.E. Holly was like the opposite. I, I think when she was little, she, she did vaulting, which if you know what that is, they like ride horses and they stand on them and stuff like this and do, do tricks on horses. But Holly never made it to the horse, I think. She just, they have this barrel and she stayed on the barrel. So when she said, when she said that she was going to run the marathon, it was, it was really hard for, for some of us that knew Holly best to believe it, right? Because see, the problem is we tend to see people for who they had been and not for who they are presently, right? And for this reason, it can be difficult when we're trying to witness to our friends and family. I think when Jesus said, a prophet is without honor in his hometown, among his relatives and his own household, I feel like he was not only empathetic, whoa, man, I was homeschooled. He was not only empathizing with us, but also warning us that that when we're dealing with our family, it is going to be difficult. Jesus lived a sinless life. He was the perfect example. He was the greatest pastor. He gave the best sermons. Jesus did miracles, right? Raised people from the dead. But regardless of all of that, in the book of John, it tells us that even Jesus' own brothers didn't believe in him, right? And that kind of makes me a little bit discouraged. But when witnessing to family and friends, we can't get discouraged. Because after the resurrection, Jesus' brothers did get saved. And they went on to become pillars in the early church. In fact, his brother James went on to write the book of James in the Bible. So we can't lose heart because it takes some of us longer before we believe And Holly did finish the marathon, by the way. So she did good. Uh, Verse 5. And he could do no miracle there, except that he laid his hands on a few sick people and healed them. Here we see the third effect of unbelief, and it robs us of our joy. Jesus wanted to do a lot in Nazareth. He, He wanted to do those miracles that he'd been doing everywhere else. He wanted the blind to see. He wanted the lame to walk. He wanted the deaf to hear. If he had done those things, people would have believed. Their lives would have been changed. And there would have been so much joy in Nazareth. But their unbelief kept them from experiencing this joy. Unbelief is powerful. It will blind me, make me cynical and bitter, and ultimately rob me of my joy. So let's see what I can do to cure some of the, the effects of unbelief. The first cure is for my blindness. And in order to cure that, I need to pray. Paul writes in Ephesians, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened. Remember, faith sees what unbelief never will. In 2 Kings, there's a story of uh, Elisha, and, and uh, there's a serious Syrian king, and he's trying to, trying to, he's like waging war against the, the king of Israel, and so he's trying to ambush him, and, and Elijah sees this in like his visions, and he warns the king of Israel, hey, don't go over there because you're going to get ambushed. And so eventually the Syrian king gets pretty upset. And like, he's like, man, what's going on? Why isn't this working? And one of his like, advisors tells him, like, hey, there's a prophet that's telling the king of Israel what's going on. So he's like, oh, let's go get him. So in the night they go, they go to the, uh, the, the town where Elisha is, and, and they surround the, the, the entire town. And then in the morning, Elisha's servant, his name is Gehazi. Oh man, rough. But uh, so he tells he tells Elisha, wakes him up. He's like, "Hey, 
They've surrounded us. And, and Elisha tells him, he says, don't worry, you know, don't be afraid. They're outnumbered. And so, so this is what Elijah did. 2 Kings 6.17, if you ever want to read the whole story, do it, man. It's really cool. Then Elijah prayed and said, O Lord, I pray, open his eyes that he may see. And the Lord opened the servant's eyes and he saw. And behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. So you want your eyes to be open? Pray. Second cure for a cynical, second cure is for a cynical, bitter heart, right? And the cure for that is that I need to see people in God. 2 Corinthians 5.16 says, Therefore, from now on, we recognize, recognize no one according to the flesh. Even though we have known Christ according to the flesh, yet now we know him in this way no longer. It, it actually sounds really cool in the living tra- living, New Living Translation. Let me read that. So we have stopped evaluating others from a human point of view. At one time, we thought of Christ merely from a human point of view, how differently we know him now. So we need to look at people and see them in God. The third thing I want to cure, um, and that's the unbelief that robs me of my joy. And, and in order to do that, I need to be in the word, reading my Bible. Hebrews eleven six says this, And without faith, it is impossible to please God, because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seeks him. I need to be dwelling on the promises of God. Um, I looked on the internet and the low number I found as far as how many promises there are in the Bible it was 3,000. So there's a promise for every situation you can think of. And when we dwell on those promises, it will bring us joy. Jesus wants to do great things in us and through us. He wants us to experience miracles of divine proportions and none bigger than our own salvation. He wants to save us from an eternity apart from him. And we need to make sure that our unbelief doesn't limit him. Our last verse, verse 6, it says, And he wondered, New Living Translation says, He was amazed at their unbelief. Two times in the New Testament, Jesus was amazed. The first one was right here, this situation in Nazareth. And he was amazed at their unbelief. The second was at the centurion soldier and his faith. And as for myself, I want Jesus to be amazed with me. But I want Jesus to be amazed with me for the right reasons. I want him to be amazed at my faith. And that faith I have, I need that faith to be a continually working faith. It's not just a one-time deal, right? And that's something I get really guilty of. I like to settle. I had some amazing thing happen in my life. I was actually divorced from my wife. She had fallen away from God, and then she came back. And and I felt like God was telling me, like, hey, man, stick it out. And I had maybe just like a faith like a mustard seed and that's it but god made it happen and and it it's really cool to think that you know my faith will see those miracles but it makes me sad too to think of how many times i 
I didn't have that faith, you know, and, and maybe missed out on something amazing that God was wanting to do. So by obeying the word and following where he is leading, our faith should show itself. Maybe this morning uh, you realize that because of your unbelief, you've been seeing Jesus like the people of Nazareth. You've been seeing him as a carpenter or a son or a brother, but you want to be seeing Jesus as your Messiah or your Savior. Or maybe you feel like you're on the verge of missing out on everything that God has for you. And, and the reason for that is, is because the giants in your life seem more real than the, God's promises. This morning, uh, we're going to worship. And, and as we worship, I want to challenge you to, to look at your life and, and uh, try not to see it from your eyes. Look, look at it from God's eyes. And, and, and uh, it's weird because people are always like, man, I don't know what, I don't know what it is God wants. And I know for myself, it's usually what I don't want. It's usually the thing that I don't feel comfortable with. And that lines up with God's word, right? Nothing that I don't feel comfortable with that's bad. But, you know, it's like when Tripp calls me, I hate when I see his phone ring. Because I know what I'm supposed to, <laughs> I know what he wants and I know I'm supposed to do it. And it's the worst. I, I got to tell you, I'm I'm scared out of my mind every time. And, and. And after having a kid, you know, it makes me realize that we never, we're never going to lose those feelings, right? At one point in my life, I, I needed to have faith to, to try and get back with my wife. And then now I have a kid. The first night, it was, it was like I, I, I looked at him like every five minutes to make sure he was breathing. And this morning, I sat there by his crib and I like looked and I couldn't tell. So I put my finger by his nose and I could barely feel a little breath. And I was like, oh, man. But, you know, it's, it's never, God's going to, like Tripp said last week, God's going to continually stretch your faith. And, and it's, it's never going to be comfortable, I hate to tell you, other than the fact that God's in control and his promises are real. So this morning as we uh, worship, you know, we got communion up here on, on either side. And, and uh, let's pray and ask that, that God would open our eyes. And, and ask him that we can see what unbelief never will. Father God, we thank you so much um, just for those promises that you've given us, Lord. And uh, we thank you that we can come to you just as we are. And, and right now I just ask that um, whatever it is that, that someone in here might be struggling with, Lord, I, I pray that you would give them the strength to, to face those giants, Lord. I pray that they'd be able to recall on your promises, Lord, your scriptures, and, and recite them to themselves over and over, Lord. And I pray that eventually those giants would just be defeated, Lord. I just ask that you would just move the rest of this morning, Lord. And uh, please con don't cease to continue to amaze us. Lord, we thank you that you get given us a church that we can come and meet in. Lord, we pray that you bless this school and uh, just bless the rest of our morning, Lord. In your name we pray, amen. If you'd like to know more about our ministry here at The Mission, visit us online at www.themissionnorthshore.org. Thanks for listening and God bless.